Will you pray with me? We search for meaning and guidance in Scripture, O Lord, meaning and guidance for our lives. May your word give us that meaning and that guidance. Now open our ears and our minds to hear and to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament scripture today is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. Listen for the word of God. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls us to the heavens above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses th uh, 2 through 9. Listen again to the word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before him, before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the hardest things about hard things is that we often don't know how much time we have left to go. How much time is left until things feel better or at least feel less hard than they do then. We can't elevate ourselves to see how long the tunnel is. We can't get a view to see how deep the valley will go. It's like if you're told that you're going to run a race, but you aren't told before you begin how long the race would be. Five miles, 10, 26.2, 50. 
And then you wouldn't be able to do the mental work that one does in a race to help along the way, to expect the low points when they come, to mark it by in quarters and thirds and halves, setting a solid pace, maybe even sprinting towards the finish when you see it. The best approach would probably be just to put one foot in front of the other until you reach the end. Anyone who experiences chronic depression might relate to the challenge of just not knowing how long an episode is going to last. Same with not knowing when a chronic or recurring pain will subside. Maybe it's like acute grief where everyday functioning feels impossible and you don't know when it's going to lessen its grip a little bit. Times of job searching when nothing is coming together. Wanting a relationship to come into your life, trying to get pregnant and struggling. In all of these, if somebody came to you and said, I have seen the future and that depression is going to lift in one week, the chronic pain ends tomorrow, your grief will lighten in three weeks, you will get a job in a month. That relationship will arrive in six months and you'll be pregnant in three. Even though you are still in the middle of that season, that time of challenge, it would just be a great comfort to know where you are in it. The pandemic has been so tough because we have simultaneously lost our sense of time as our routines have been disrupted. And no one has been able to predict when things will get better, however it is that we would each define that at this point. I read a post that said the closer we get to the end, of the tunnel of the pandemic, the more we realize just how dark that tunnel has been. Many of my meetings this past week have included how difficult February is in a regular year, and now this worst of the worst. And there has clearly been a view for some time, as William Shakespeare has a character say in Much Ado About Nothing, What's the matter that you have such a February face, full of frost, of storm, of cloudiness? For those of us who have February faces this February, we at least can mark where we are through it. And on February 14th, we are exactly at that halfway point. The first thing I read in the Gospel of Mark commentary on the Transfiguration said, It is the halfway point of Mark's gospel. There have been eight chapters that lead up to it, and this is the beginning of the last eight chapters of the gospel. It is halfway then between the baptism in chapter one, a voice from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And then the announcement of the resurrection in chapter 16. Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised, and he is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Here at the Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, there is another voice that says, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Halfway through the written words of the gospel doesn't really match up with halfway through the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
but at Bible study this week, we considered how Jesus, unlike us, is able to know exactly where he is in the length of a journey. He can see the whole, where we can only see part. He knows how long the tunnel goes. He can see how deep the valley is. And here, in the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus is about to make a full turn in the direction he's already been turning towards Jerusalem and what awaits him there, which he also knows. He is starting to prepare the disciples about his death and what is to come. And in the previous conversation in chapter 8 that he had with the disciples, it ended with his words to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So those conversations are not going well up to this point. Which might be why Jesus doesn't want the three disciples here in Mark chapter 9, James and John and Peter, to share what they saw on that mountain yet. Until after Jesus is raised from the dead and they can put all of the pieces together because sometimes things just can't make sense until they do. And Jesus knows he is going to die as one of the most haunting aspects of him being both fully God and fully human. Something that my earthly mind has never really been able to comprehend. But also something that calls our hearts to respond with love for him. All the more for this eyes open love he has for us the one who can see all of time in a way that we can't, who knows that Peter is about to say maybe the wrong thing on the mountain when he doesn't know what to say and he speaks out of his anxiety, and also knows that that's not the worst thing that Peter's going to do, who knows all of my and our wrong and worst things, and never says, honestly, why am I going to all the trouble for Peter, for Jen, for you. This eyes open love maybe makes Valentine's Day and Transfiguration Sunday a good match, that Jesus knew he was going to die and that he would do so out of a love for those who would never be able to love him back with a love equal to the love he gave, but that they would try which he also knows. So in Bible study, to understand this passage further, we wondered who is the transfiguration for? And maybe not the three disciples who don't understand it, and then we're told not to talk about it, and assuming they actually did keep that a secret, we sort of chuckled, imagining Peter, James, and John casually mentioning after the resurrection, oh yeah, and then there was that time we were on the mountain with Jesus and his clothes became dazzling white and Moses and Elijah came and talked to him and the rest of the disciples would say, wait, what? You don't think this would have been something we wanted to hear about until now? So maybe not those three and there was no crowd. So that left us with this thought. It was for Jesus. For Jesus as God and human to be in perfect harmony, for the earthly body to be filled with the heavenly glory. To hear encouragement from the Father, my son, 
the beloved, the father who would love him equal to his love and vice versa. For the gift of talking with Moses and Elijah who could relate to their own experiences of people not getting what they were trying to say or understanding what they had come to do. A needed reminder as he saw the approach of the death of his earthly form that he had another one, as we heard so well, as we hear so well described in Philippians, who, though he was the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. At the halfway point of the gospel, Jesus gets a halftime with the Father, a physical reminder of his glory and time with Moses and Elijah, those representatives of the law and the prophet of the faith. Things will still be hard when Jesus comes down that mountain, and in fact, of course, they will only get harder, but they might be easier when Jesus himself is reminded that he is not alone, that he is the beloved son, and he is on the path of obedience. The transfiguration is for Jesus, but as part of our scripture, it is also for us which is clear any time we get such a declaration in scripture, a command to listen to him, maybe especially like in Peter's case here, when we are doing more interrupting or anxious putting words out there than open-hearted listening to Jesus, the beloved son. Because if we are listening, Jesus has some things to tell us about when it's hard and we're not sure if we're in the beginning or the middle or the end of it. That he sees more than we can see. And he sees us in it. And whatever we go through and wherever we are in it, and that we cannot be lost to him. Even when we feel lost. That Jesus stays steady toward the cross and into redeemed life and nothing that he knows about how we will get it wrong makes him change course. That breaks to be in God's presence, to be reminded of God's majesty and glory, can sometimes be what gives us strength for the unknown length of our next valley. And that some things just won't make sense until they do, until we have the last puzzle piece of joining Jesus in the resurrection from the dead in the glory that is to come. If we are listening, let us pray. Gracious God, may we listen to the words of the beloved Son, the words of Scripture, the words of prayer the words we find as we gather as the body of Christ. May those words plant seeds that grow fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.